The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Market moving insight and analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with David Faber and Sarah Eisen. Cramer has the morning off. Stocks are going to try to snap that three-week losing streak. And the Nasdaq's trying for three days up as we got some cooler inflation numbers out of China, some decent tech and retail results, and some dollar consolidation post-DCB. Our roadmap begins with stocks, as we said, looking to snap that loss over the last few weeks. But Guggenheim's Scott Minard says a 20% drop still in the cards. Plus, failure is not an option. Former Vice Chair Richard Clarida predicting that the Fed is going to 4% come, quote, hell or high water. And Kroger delivering a quarterly beat and boosting its sales forecast. Shares are rallying ahead of the open. We'll begin, though, with the markets on track for a positive week, finally. Some of the China data last night, guys, uh, had something to do with it. Uh, PPI 2.3 instead of a prior 4.2. And the first time that PPI has come in below CPI, in a couple of years, uh, they're clearly exporting deflation around the world. Yeah, well, it, it reflects what's happening with China's economy, which is basically stalled and continuing to go through these rolling shutdowns of millions of people. But for those in the markets, and there is a growing camp of people, investors saying, we've peaked on inflation. It's coming down very quickly. The Fed should be looking at these forward-looking indicators. It's more proof that that's happening around the world. And, and it's good news, although the Fed is singing a completely different tune. It almost doesn't matter who you hear from now. The, the biggest doves, Lael Brainerd, for instance, who's now the vice chair, they're not sounding dovish anymore. They're talking about getting up to rates, higher rates to fight inflation and not leaving until the job is done. So they're not really paying attention to some of these forward-looking indicators like China, like what we're seeing in commodities, right. oil prices. Yeah, Coming down. Uh, China's CPI was uh, up 2.5%. I think 28 was what was expected when we get on PPI, 2.3 versus 3.1. Uh, they seem to be lightening COVID protocols, at least. that's There's some sense maybe ahead of uh, the big congressional meeting next month. And then your favorite Japan, Sarah, continues to add stimulus. Not helping the yen, though, or maybe a little bit? A little bit. <laughs> the, the way to determine, I think, the market mood right now is looking at the U.S. dollar. It's become the center of the world. And when it weakens, it's a, it's a green light for stocks because it has been strengthening the steady march higher against so many other currencies. And that really does tighten financial conditions. It hurts exports for the U.S. It hurts earnings. It's going the other way. It went the other way this week, lost a half a percent. Because the ECB fought back and everybody else is fighting back. If that trend can continue, theoretically, it could be good for stocks. Yeah. Uh, there's been some, there's some commentary this morning about weakening indicators in breadth and momentum and trading patterns, which is maybe why uh, Minard feels like it's worth taking a shot uh, on a call uh, to go much lower. But on the, uh, tangentially, we are getting some, for example, uh, decent headlines on the progress of Ukraine's counteroffensive. Uh, some of these units, David, uh, according to reports, moving so quick that they're outpacing their artillery support. And then you had General Milley and uh, CIA Director Burns yesterday saying that Putin's objectives have failed at this point. You kind of have to argue that. 
Yeah, uh, well, the Russians won't admit that, and certainly don't in their uh, in their broader communications. Uh, yeah, the move in the east has gone uh, better, perhaps, than the move in the south from Ukraine. But it was imperative that they show progress. In part, as uh, we line up, winter is still a ways away, but we know the pressure that Europe is under, and obviously, Europe has been a big supporter and still willing to uh, not acquiesce to Putin uh, and to the lack of gas, which is virtually nothing at this point that's coming from Russia. And so important for Zelensky and, the U- and Ukraine to actually show real progress, Carl, and they do appear to be doing that. Good news for Europe, I guess, which holds an emergency meeting on what to do about energy nearly every single day, whether it's taxing the energy companies, which really won't help them very much. And but, but they're going to have to spend a lot, basically, to help to help people deal with these sky high energy bills. Look, as it relates to inflation, crude oil has has come down pretty sharply. It's up. It's up a bunch today. So we'll keep an eye on it up three percent. But at 86.21, it's only up 10 percent or so year to date. Just just add it to the list. I mean, I keep coming back to this theme. I saw a Redfin report on on the housing market. Twenty one percent of home sellers across the U.S. dropped their asking price in July. That's the highest share since Redfin began tracking the data in 2012. More and more cities are also metro areas, I should say, are also seeing home price decline. So that that just just more evidence that the inflation story is thawing. And whether it's positive for the market, it used to be before Jackson Hole, but then, <laughs> right. but then, then we sort of got used to the idea that Fed Chair Powell, it wasn't enough for him. Yeah. And he, does, he's, he wants to see more evidence. Which is why the, the Clarida comments a few moments ago on Squawk were so fascinating. We, we mentioned that he said 4% come hell or high water. But his uh, other comment is that the central bank, the Fed, is largely a single mandate central bank, at least in the short term. Here's what he said. The message I got is very clear. Failure is not an option uh, to Jay Powell. So I think the uncertainty is how high will rates have to go and how long will they have to stay there to bring inflation down into the twos. But you've got to believe the Fed now. I think, I think they've made that very uh, clear. And I've been surprised how unified the messaging is among other members of the committee uh, on this point. So you've got to believe the Fed. So we'll watch that. Uh, yeah. B of A with some projections for job growth next year. They're looking at job losses for pretty much the first two-thirds of the year. And with unemployment getting close to five, they think it's going to be much higher than the Fed expects. This is the core debate right now. How much is unemployment going to suffer and what's the pain tolerance for the Fed? Because as long as we haven't seen declines in employment, the Fed has the green light to keep fighting inflation. But And, we, and we're continuing to see actually some good news on that front. Claims, jobless claims came in a little better than expected this week. It's a tight, tight labor market. You do wonder, though, when we start to see the pain, because they're coming at us with a number of interest rate hikes, which do hit the economy with a lag. And even Chair Powell has told us this. QT, the shrinking of the balance sheet, which has taken away the punch bowl, that's starting to hit at full force. So can the, the economy hold up? That's a key question. And, you know, obviously housing is an important component of that. And I did note and we noted those comments from Gary Friedman, who's usually outspoken. Uh, restoration hardware, now it's RH. Um, But, uh, you know, it was interesting because he was certainly willing to criticize both Powell and and Yellen for being slow and the impact that obviously higher inflation has had on the housing market. Take a listen. That's why Powell was so wrong in the beginning. That's why Janet Yellen was like massively blind and and wrong. You know, I mean, and Fed moved too slow, quite frankly. You know, and now because they moved too slow, we're going to see higher interest rates than we would have if they would have moved faster. And I'd say we're going to have a, the interest rates are going to go higher 
going to it's going to hit the housing market first, and the housing market is the biggest part of the U.S. economy, and it's going to drag down everything. And if I'm wrong, that's okay, but the data is there. It's okay if he's wrong. You think the data is there, Sarah? The data is there. That's what the Fed is doing, and they were late in doing it. So. He's, he's telling the truth. He's doing it in a way that most CEOs don't. No. And this is his second time bashing Powell and Yellen. He also is delaying a store opening in London and compared himself to Elon Musk, who never met delivery times, and Thomas Edison, who took forever to invent the light bulb. So he, it's a col- he's a colorful character and kind of defensive <laughs> as well. We should just frame it that way. Yes. Uh, for more on the markets, we are joined now by Wilmington Trust's head of investment strategy, Megan Shu, and Luthold Group chief investment strategist, Jim Paulson, I, I guess that's the debate, Jim. How can, can, can the economy hold up in the face of what Fed Chair Powell is doing and what is ahead of us and, and how much is reflected in the market? Well, I think if uh, the Fed is bent on inverting the funds to 10-year yield uh, yield curve, then you know the odds really go up on a recession at that point. Um, I really think the Fed... The case for tightening, Sarah, is gonna is fading away rapidly. I think growth, real growth, is slow, very sluggish, maybe one and a half percent. And as you say, and been talking, I think inflation is coming down very rapidly. And there's enough tightening policy already in the pipe from slow money growth, slow, uh, slower fiscal stimulus, a big rise in the dollar, big rise in yields. That's going to continue to push downward force on inflation well into next spring. I think so. I think I, I really think the Fed's going to be done after about another 50 or 75 here myself uh, overall. And it, I, I, I do think the economy is in a lot better shape than we think compared to past cycles, primarily because balance sheets are so much stronger than they used to be. The debt to income ratio in the household sector hasn't been this low since 1990. Net worths are really strong. Cash levels, liquidity are, are ample everywhere, um, and the corporate sector looks about as good. Housing is getting hit really hard, and mortgage spreads are, are recession-like levels, but the corporate junk spreads are not. They're not signaling a recession, and I think that reflects the fact that corporate America is in really good shape. So I, I guess we will weather this, we'll, although we're going to grow very sluggishly in the coming year. Megan, what about you? Do you agree with that? I, I would say somewhat rosy view, because in, you, in that assumption you, you make, Jim, it's that inflation comes down quickly, the Fed pauses as growth slows, but we escape sort of the worst of the recession. Megan, is that something you buy into? Yeah, well, I think what the market got a lot of juice from through the summer was the idea that we would reach a peak Fed funds rate south of 4% and then actually start to move lower. And and that is, I don't think, a risk that the Fed is willing to take. We do expect inflation to come down pretty dramatically. Um, The tricky part is that even a year out, we see the CPI on a year-over-year basis at around 3 maybe a little bit north of 3%. um, And that is not the Fed's target. So as we look at inflationary forces going forward, the housing market is definitely encouraging. The tricky part there is that we tend to see the housing market play into the CPI with a lag of anywhere from 12 to 18 months, which is incredibly long. Um, and I think the market's gotten a lot of support as well. Um, and there, I think there's some upside risks. If you think about OPEC, not willing to let uh, oil prices stay too low, China's 
propensity to relax their COVID policy after a very important party Congress. Um, so we just have to watch there. And then you mentioned early in the segment uh, the progress that Ukraine is making, and, and that just raises risks for the weaponization of energy by Putin. So I think there's risks out there. We're not willing to, to stick our neck out and add to equities here, um, but we are fully allocated. And I think the reason behind that is that it is really hard to get back in. And all it will take really for, I think, for the market to find a bottom um, is one or two really encouraging CPI reports potentially. Um, and if we're looking at a recession next year, then we could have a little bit of a rally into the end of the year. That's interesting. I guess, you know, clear and convincing, we keep talking about that, Jim, uh, especially as it pertains to CPI. What, what, what do you think clear and convincing could be? Can you front load clear and convincing to where uh, a number year on year in the sixes is convincing, even though it doesn't give you a lot of duration? Well, I, I, I think the data to me, Carl, is already becoming pretty clear and convincing. I, I just think when you look across the spectrum, I mean, wage inflation, uh, six-month annualized base the last year, we peaked out about 6.1%. It's decelerated all year to 4.7. Commodity prices are in clear deflationary force. It's going to add in. You can see there uh, King Charles um, and the Queen Consort have arrived at uh, Buckingham Palace. Um, in the heart of London. He's going to be formally proclaimed tomorrow morning uh, and expected to address the nation and really the world uh, later on tonight. Uh, but what a remarkable 24 hours it's been all around the world. The, the tributes from uh, musicians and rock stars to the New York Stock Exchange, the Empire State Building. The president is expected uh, to attend the funeral. Uh, and even the B of E and uh, Premier League postponing events in the coming weeks. Right. This kicks off the 10-day mourning period across the U.K. This is the first time we're seeing the British people meeting their new monarch, King Charles. Uh, he flew back today from Scotland to London. There, there's been a gun salute in Hyde Park. He's going to address the country. And you mentioned the British Prime Minister, Liz Truss. She's expected to attend this, this service at St. Paul's Cathedral today. And then he's visiting Parliament, as I understand it as well, where the senior ministers will swear an oath to him on Saturday. That's tomorrow. Uh, and a ceremony will take place there at St. James Palace in London to formally proclaim King Charles III as, as monarch. Uh, of course, the uh, king has just made his way from Balmoral, and the U.K. is going to begin that period of national mourning in rem remembrance of the queen. Germana Brzezicki is in Scotland with more. Germana, good morning. Good morning, guys. Well, a real sense of solemnness and grief is prevailing. And uh, this, as you mentioned, as the uh, all of the UK enters into a period of national mourning that is expected to last until the day after the state funeral. So that will be formally announced today, but it's expected to be in about 12 to 13 days time. But we're here in Scotland because it is in this country where the Queen took her last breath yesterday. She was residing at Balmoral Castle, which is about 100 miles from where I'm standing right now. And when it emerged that her health had been deteriorating, senior members of the royal family flew up, flew up to be by her side, including the now King Charles III and her other sons, Prince Andrew, Prince Edward, Princess Anne, her daughter, and of course her two grandchildren, Prince Harry and Prince William. Now, the king has flown back to the UK. He's expected to have his first audience with the new British Prime Minister, Liz Truss, 
after which he will be addressing the nation at 6 p.m. Now, as for the Queen, while her body is currently still residing at Belmoral, it will make its way by hers to where we are standing right now, which is Holyrood Palace, and that is the official uh, monarch residency in Scotland. Uh, it will stay here for a couple of days. There will be a procession to St. Giles Cathedral, also in Edinburgh. After that, the body will then make its way down to London for all of the significant events to follow in London. But I, I just want to draw your attention to the huge number of people that have been showing up. Hundreds of people have been walking by me in the last couple of hours, placing their tributes, signs of respect, flowers in front of this palace in honor of Her Majesty, as someone who will uh, really mark her place in history. And that these commemorations, dare I say, are fit for a queen. Jemana, thank you. Uh, quite a picture there. Uh, can you imagine being in line uh, greeting the new king? Simply incredible. More, more handshakes than selfies, yeah, yes. actually. Some, some women even died. They, they, the, the country's last king was Elizabeth's father, Queen Elizabeth's father, King George, 1952. Unbelievable. That's right. Still to come this morning, we'll get to some movers, including Kroger. Uh, Sarah's got a lot on it. Some of these quarterly results, interesting private label data. Take a look at the pre-market as Squawk on the Street comes back on this Friday. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. It's always one of the saddest days of the year down here. The New York Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ each about to observe a moment of silence to recognize the anniversary of 9-11 and honor the victims, the survivors, and their families. You're about to hear one single strike of the NYSE bell and then the beginning of the moment of silence. David, um, 21 years, and it's remarkable for people who remember it in this country, this city, and certainly this building. No doubt. Um... And it does feel, obviously, uh, like it wasn't that long ago. You can walk not far from here to the really incredibly moving and beautiful memorial um, that I often do. And, you know, you obviously think about so many of the people who lost their lives on that day. Um, hard to imagine 21 years ago, Carl, uh, as we sit here today. Let's get the moment of silence. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. We continue to monitor events in uh, Buckingham Palace. You see 
King Charles III and the Queen's consort expected to lay some flowers, uh, meeting some people in line. Uh, the wires do have reports of uh, well-wishers singing and shouting, God save the king, uh, ahead of his formal uh, proclamation tomorrow, tomorrow morning. It's really about two different things, right? It's, it's the morning of Queen Elizabeth II, and today kicks off a 10-day period of that, where no laws, for instance, will be passed in Parliament, and the new king, who immediately, you know, take, takes over, basically, as, as the king. And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of ceremonies and pomp and circumstance. The king is going to address the nation at 6 p.m. Eastern time, or excuse me, 6 p.m. local time, so just at the top of the hour. And then... Uh, he'll be meeting with the prime minister and all sorts of ceremonies sworn in, for instance, as he becomes king. It's amazing uh, the layers of transition the UK is going through. Obviously, this is truly historic uh, after the Queen's reign, the longest serving monarch in the country's history, but also the short term changes in prime minister going into a winter, obviously severe inflation pressures in a winter uh, that is truly uncertain. It was one of her last, or maybe the last public photo of the was Queen. Meeting was meeting Truss. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, taking the meeting with the brand new Prime Minister, Liz Truss. There goes uh, the King into the palace. We'll watch that. We'll get the opening bell in five minutes. Don't go anywhere. I'm thinking somewhere between 3,000 and let's broadly say 3,000 and 3,400. We'll, we'll figure out the bottom when we get there. But, uh, you know, I would say uh, at that point I'm a buyer. Uh, because if you believe everything I just said, if you believe that the Fed will pause, uh, you know, it's going to be supportive uh, for risk assets and, uh, and the seasonals turn around. Um, you know, seasonals turn positive in November through March, actually through June. So uh, the old adage of buy in May, go, you know, or sell in May, go away, come again at Labor Day. Guggenheim's Scott Minard on overtime yesterday talking about how low the S&P would have to go for him to start buying again. Certainly one dynamic of the week, guys, was the journal piece saying 75 is very much, and now Bullard uh, saying he would more strongly lean into a 75 basis point. Hike. I don't think any of it is a surprise. The market now is expecting 75 basis point hike at the next Fed meeting and is used to hearing this message from the Fed that we're going to do whatever it takes and we're not thinking about pausing and we're not, the job is not done and we're all very, very hawkish. I think what the market is grappling with, guys, is that inflation expectations are falling very fast and the Fed doesn't appear to be picking up on it. Not to get too wonky, but if you look at the swaps market where, where you start to see these expectations, they're collapsing. The one-year inflation forward is now 1.7%. Uh, Powell got to this yesterday, David. He did. Um, I mean, it's not as though they don't know that. They've got plenty of economists who can track data. They don't want to make another they're making decisions, yeah. They're you know, looking at wage inflation still and trying to get the participation rate up. To your point, some slack in the labor market. By the way, when it comes to big bond guys, and he's a great one, minor. I mean, that's 25% down from here on the S&P. Gunlock used to make some big calls, too. Incredible in the fixed income market for both of them. A bit more mixed when it comes to predicting the equity market. You've made some tactical calls lately on stocks that have not exactly panned out. He was super bullish during the bear market when there was another big slide. All that said, uh, some decent breadth at the open. S&P 40-30 at the big board. Goldman Sachs Asset Management ETFs at the NASDAQ Answer the Call, a nonprofit supporting families of New York City police officers, firefighters, EMTs. 
who've been killed in the line of duty. Sarah mentioned uh, dollar action today, and we are getting, as we said, uh, more consolidation. That's helping tech. NASDAQ, if they put three straight wins together today, we haven't done that since July, believe it or not. Yeah, even though we've seen a six-week slide for bonds, I think the NASDAQ has, and tech trade has taken its cue lately from the bond market. The slide in bonds reflecting, of course, all the hawkish Fed speak that we've gotten post Jackson Hole, but you do wonder, David, on the bond market, whether it's sort of consolidating. One thing that at least the bulls are taking some comfort in is that we have not seen the highs on the 10-year yield that we saw back in June. And we have not seen the lows in the equity market back in June. We've lost a lot of the ground that we made up from the summer, but haven't, haven't made new lows. And there's the 10-year, and it, it's a little bit lower today. So there is some buying, not exactly across the curve, but we're below 330. So we haven't gotten up to that 350 level. Perhaps that's why you're seeing some stabilization in tech. And also the weaker dollar helps, no question. We've well, still got an inverted yield curve, though, which we've had for how long now? Sometime. A few months. Yeah. That's not a good signal no, for the economy. It is not, nor for the markets either. Hasn't been helpful for the banks. Uh, but they have staged a bit of a, a rebound this week. One name, guys, I was going to bring up was Kroger. Because out today, in a very strong report, sales were better. The earnings were a lot better. The same store sales, or ID sales as they call it, uh, came in strong. 5.8% expectation was in the 4% range. And they raised their guidance. They raised the ID sales outlook from, to 4 to 4.5% from the 2 to 3% range. Just some color here on what's, what's driving the quarter. People are still staying home and they're cooking at home. And perhaps they're doing it more at the expense of going out to restaurants, just given what's happened with the inflationary environment. I also wanted to highlight the private label business, which is our brands in Kroger, because that saw sales jump more than 10%, 10.2%. It's helping the, the grocer, but it also reflects the economic environment out there and the fact that people are trading down. It's something Rodney McMullen, the CEO, has been warning about for the last few quarters. They're seeing record numbers in their fuel uh, program where they offer savings, for instance. They're seeing record numbers of digital coupon downloads. So all of that reflecting sort of a weaker consumer that is still spending a lot and prioritizing groceries because you have to eat and you have to cook at home now. Yeah. Private label, you said double digit. I think the prior was in the six range. Um, and we've seen a bunch of charts lately, the percentage of overall food sales that have gone private label as uh, folks look to trade down. All that said, uh, B of A, I don't know if you saw some of their card spend data for August. Um, uh, card spend per household up five year on year. Last month was 5.3. So it's not like card spends falling off a cliff, even no. as people hunt for bargains. No, but there, but there is this element of trading down, and they're also spending more because in, inflation is high. I'm going to talk to Rodney McMullen about all of this, the CEO of Kroger at 3 p.m. on Closing Bell, the most no important kidding. hour of trading. Uh, as, I, as we all know, in an exclusive Sarah, interview. It's always exclusive when you have Rodney. We enjoy that. He knows he knows where to he knows where to come for interviews. <laughs> Speaking of other interviews you've done that uh, that we wonder why they're really? not on here, uh, T-Mobile uh, <laughs> uh, announces a uh, a significant buyback, but stock's not doing much in part because there had been talk uh, some time back that this is a company that could buy back as much as a third of its market cap over time. The buyback is 14 billion. You see it there. I don't know why we're giving. Uh, Credit to Reuters. They, they announced the de they announced the buyback. Um, it's 14 billion. It's roughly a year. They are not obligated, as is off as almost always is the case for these companies that announce it. But it's a significant one, obviously, uh, uh, not unexpected by shareholders. And again, there had been 
even though this is a large number, an expectation that you might even see more, and perhaps you will see follow-on announcements. Uh, of course, T-Mobile, as we pointed out many times, has been by far the best performer when it comes to well, an overall sector, frankly, this year that has just been dreadful. And, and there I'm expanding beyond AT&T and Verizon to include the likes of our parent company, Comcast, shares of which are down over 31%, or Charter, another one of the large connectivity plays in the country. And obviously, both of those are moving aggressively into wireless as well. Uh, T-Mobile up 25%. And as we pointed out a couple of weeks ago, its market cap now far exceeds that of Verizon. Uh, we kind of like to keep track of that, but it's, as you see, they've won that war at least for now. Uh, obviously, a reflection on um, their ability to garner new customers and what is a great spectrum position uh, that many would point to. Now, Bernstein's reaction today on the buyback is, quote, finally, uh, and they point out that they guided free cash flow to 13, 14. So basically giving all of that back in the next year. They say some may argue it's a sell the news event, but there are plenty of investors out there who've been waiting for this announcement to get involved. Yeah. That, yeah. Uh, but, I, you know, again, I was somewhat surprised, but people reminded me that there was an expectation, of course, of a large buyback, perhaps even though one that would be larger than 14. Certainly given the accretion in market cap, it's not as large as a percentage as it might have been some time back. Uh, but still a large one. Yeah. By the way, the uh, 1% tax, which would be 140 million bucks, I guess, on this over time, doesn't seem to be stopping corporate America from moving forward That's with buyback announcements. It feels like buybacks are back in vogue. In yeah. a big way, RH was talking about buying back stock as well yesterday because it was cheap. I just wanted to show, check on that stock because it's kind of a mixed outlook. It was a much better quarter, but RH is higher today. It's up about 3%. Uh, some of the, the reason for blame. You heard Gary Friedman talking about the macro environment, the housing environment starting to weaken, but they do not do discounts. And he was very clear about that on the call. And they want to preserve their margins and stay a luxury brand. And that has helped, certainly, the financial performance of this company, even though, as I say, outlook a little mixed, delaying a big store opening in the UK. Uh, we mentioned some of the tech results, uh, not enormous companies, but Zscaler uh, did beat by a nickel, revenue ahead, shares uh, up more than 15%. That's about a, about a three-week high on Zscaler. DocuSign as well, uh, 44 beats by two cents. Uh, the, pretty, the billings outlook pretty solid. And again, on, on Docu, you're above the 50-day for the first time uh, in about three weeks or a month. So directionally, at least, some of the tech earnings we've been getting this late part of the earnings season have been decent. DocuSign's an interesting one, of course, because it comes on a, after a string of bad quarters, right, where the stock was down double digits. I've, I've been going through some of the analyst reports, and the, the feeling appears to be a step in the right direction. Good to see the billings data turn around. Maybe the bottom is in for the stock and for the performance, but we're going to wait on the sidelines before recommending this company until they get a new CEO. Remember, Dan Springer stepped down, I think. Phew. Last June, sometime early in the summer, Maggie Wilderotter uh, is in as interim CEO and chair. Um, and there's a quote from her saying, <laughs> we enter this next phase with a clear set of vital... <laughs> too fast. I'm, I'm, it, it was too fast. Yeah, they Billion, they $50 billion dollar opportunity. There there, there, there's what you want to know. They got some new customers. Uh, they, they do. Obviously, this was a, uh, seen as a uh, pandemic play for pe some period of time, lumped in now with uh, many of the stocks that have declined dramatically from the highs. Um, but first time that it has actually seen uh, some positive news in quite some time. And there you get a look at sort of what it's that round trip that uh, Carl is is more common than not for many of these 
these one-time darlings? Uh, of course, a lot of that is is a remote work, uh, sort of remote commerce dynamic. I don't know, David, We you and I watch this a lot, but Long Island Railroad ridership back to March 2020 levels for the first time. And uh, over 3.4 million people rode the subway on Wednesday, 10% over last week's numbers. So maybe we are getting some post-Labor Day effect on people at least commuting. Yeah. Who knows where to? I know. Traffic is as bad as ever, though. My God, uh, in terms of cars. Well, more but yet, people own cars now. I, well, right? right. Although you would hope that perhaps they'd start to use mass transit. Um, the subway has been a bit more crowded. I don't know if you've seen that as oh, well, yeah. but I've definitely noticed it. We are moving into next week as Harder well. To get an Uber. So, to, uh, many employers, sort of, this was a transitional week. Next week is actually going to be where they really expect people to be back if they've said three days or even four. Although, what I continue to hear, because I ask this question of virtually every leader I come into contact with, and what you hear is, I've asked for four, I'm going to get three. If I asked for three, I'd get two. <laughs> um, so it's a reduction, but, uh, but moving in perhaps the right direction, so to speak, for those who want to see their offices full again. Yeah, um, certainly com Code Conference was busy with not a lot of uh, COVID friction, so to speak. And it's a big month for conference. So we get SALT next week here in New York City. Uh, sort of brings to mind uh, this investment from Sam Bankman-Fried into Skybridge. Yeah. And, uh, and what crypto's done, defending 19K overall. Above 21K now. Yeah. It's, it's really come back. It's been, you know, crypto's been buoyed around by, by the macro environment. Yes, it's got its own share of problems with all these companies in the ecosystem halting withdrawals and facing liquidity issues. But really, look at the dollar. When it weakens, that's good for crypto. It's really become sort of like gold in that way. It, it's, it's got an inverse relationship. And it's got a close relationship with the NASDAQ as well. Not maybe as close as when we saw at the height of the bear market, when there was like a lot of, there was much more liquidation in, in Bitcoin and sort of unwinding some of that leverage. But clearly, the relief we saw in the dollar has helped a lot of assets, including Bitcoin this week, including stocks. The S&P is now looking at a 3% gain on the week. Yeah, for the first, after three losing weeks. By the way, we mentioned FTX uh, and the Skybridge deal and overall discussion about that and the point at which we are in a so-called crypto winter. Here's what he said. To the extent that digital assets can start to gain more adoption in market structure, in remittances, um, you know, in on-chain uh, social media apps, it, it, you know, in other things that will actually start to change the life for people, that would be huge. And then the second is just regulatory clarity is, you know, having a world where, you know, simultaneously customers are protected and, you know, there's a clean path for businesses to move their liquidity onshore. By the way, a programming note, be sure to watch tonight's CNBC special Crypto Night, 6 p.m. Eastern time. We did get an upgrade of coin uh, earlier today out of Daiwa. They go to buy price target of 100 which would be about a 25% upside from here. I'm also watching Carl shares of Tapestry this morning. They had their investor day in New York. They're on the move. They've been, they've been a loser this year, along with a lot of other retailers, especially in the luxury space. But up today, 3.3%, laying out a new three-year growth target, or target, set of targets, including double-digit earnings growth. We're going to talk to the CEO of this company as well on the heels of Investor Day later today on Closing Bell, Joanne Kravasset, about the consumer environment and how she's shifting some of these iconic brands like Coach 
and dealing with some of the global slowdown because they're exposed in places like China. Yeah. Certainly uh, in retail, uh, it's, it's been a lot about inventory, which was interesting. You know, one thing, uh, Sarah, that kind of got glossed over this week was Brainerd talking about the role that corporate margins have had in driving inflation, right? We talked earlier in the week about, you know, trying to goose pricing while they can. Uh, one argument in retail is that those those margins are going to collapse as inventories have gotten so bloated. And, and w will that be a down... Uh, a negative effect on overall CPI. Right, because it is deflationary or disinflationary. If you're having to get rid of all this inventory, you're having to mark it down. You hear a number of retail CEOs talking about a promotional environment, and you're already starting to see weakness in the apparel categories in terms of, of pricing. It's really going to come down to brands, who's got the power and who doesn't. What strength, and RH, for instance, is not going to, to lower prices. But you hear a lot about Lululemon, for instance, not going to lower prices. But in their categories, you are seeing weaker prices. And it has to do, in part, with categories we all consumed during the pandemic, which were so hard to get, which all these stores, like a Target or a Walmart, stocked up on right. so much. And now they just have a ton of them. Yeah. I keep coming back to the air fryer. But the, really, a good time to You can pick up buy. an air fryer for, like free. for very cheap right now. Yeah, well, listen, Target took the hit and just said we're going to take the pain and has tried to get through a lot of their inventory as quickly as possible. If you've got a product people want, Lululemon, you don't have to cut price. Conceivably, that's, that's pretty simple. And that's what we're hearing from the food companies. Carl, you, you, you shot back at the Unilever CEO saying we haven't seen the worst of inflation. I heard it from the Kellogg CEO as well, Steve Kahaline, this week that you know, their costs, they say, are still very high and they're not trying to juice the consumers here or scam the consumers by raising prices, but they are protecting their margins. And that's telling. Yeah, it's it's weird, right? I mean, they have to be noticing gas, at least wholesale gas, down to January levels. Shipping I mean, rates are yeah. down. All the transportation issues are down. I think what the story is is that they're down, but they're still up from where they were, I don't know, last year or in the last two years. And so that gives them the room to raise, to raise prices again. But companies will be scrutinized. Kroger, for instance, margins were flat from last year. So it doesn't speak to the fact that they're passing it on, but perhaps it's coming a little earlier in the food supply chain from the manufacturers. Right. Overall, as Sarah says, uh, a sort of a risk on day, uh, 30 points on the S&P, only sector down is utilities, actually just went green. Let's get to Bob Pisani. Hey, Bob. Hey, Carl, good to see you. Uh, we're trying to snap a three-week losing streak here. 2% gains for the week, 2.8% for the S&P 500. Take a look at the sectors. All 11 sectors are up right at the open. China's CPI, by the way, was weaker than expected. That helped all the Asian stocks here. But you see, ARC's having a great week overall. I'll show you that in a minute, but it's up today. Energy is actually flat to down for the week, but it's, it's up today. Banks are doing well. Consumer staples are sort of underperforming. So General Mills, uh, Campbell's Soup, the usual names uh, underperforming on a generally up day. Take a look for the week. This is a, what you see when you get choppy markets. They call this hammering out a bottom here. So it's kind of strange here. ARC's had a good week and healthcare has had a good week. Yet semiconductors, they're not up here, but semiconductors, there you see 3.2%, uh, sort of underperforming some of the growthier parts of the market. Banks are doing well. And you see energy really essentially flat. That's very good news. Of course, everybody watches that as a proxy for inflation. So where are we for the markets for the week? I'd say we're tilting on the bullish side right now. So the dollar index down three Three days in a row. That's a little toppy. Uh, Two-year yield, that's a, a proxy for uh, what the Fed is doing. That's looking a little toppy here. The VIX, I would say at 22 to 27 on the VIX, that's elevated, not panicky. And the S&P is between 3,900 and 4,100. Uh, 
well, let's just, I'll stick with my comment here, hammering out a bottom overall. You guys were mentioning the T-Mobile buyback. We have some new data on buybacks, and the bottom line is they are still very strong. In fact, the second quarter there of, uh, the first quarter of 2021, $281 billion. That is a record. That is an all-time record we saw for the first quarter. Now, you see, second quarter here is down a little bit to $226 billion. Uh, that is down a little bit because financials weren't buying back as much stock. I think that'll probably change in the third quarter. But don't kid yourself. These are still really strong. In fact, if you put the four quarters uh, from the second quarter of 2022 backwards, four quarters, it's a trillion dollars bought back. That's an all-time record. We've never had $4 trillion in dollars in four consecutive quarters total bought back before. And you guys were talking about the 1% tax. Guess who's going to pay it? Uh, the people who have the biggest buybacks that are out there. And the king of all buybacks uh, is Apple. Uh, their bill is going to be quite strong here. They're looking at $877 million. These are estimates by S&P Global that just came out. Alphabet, $500 million. Meta Platforms, uh, $500 Microsoft, $275 million. Berkshire's down there uh, at $271 billion. Now, uh, some people, uh, Carl, believe the tax will pull forward some of the buybacks into the fourth quarter of 2024 because this comes into uh, of 2022 uh, because this comes into effect in 2023. We'll keep an eye on that. I think the more important thing is overall CEO sentiment about how they feel about whether or not the economy is going into a serious slowdown. Carl, back to you. All right, Bob. Thank you, uh, Bob Pisani. As we go to break this morning, let's take a look at the bond report, see how Treasuries are faring. We're essentially entering the so-called Fed speak blackout window. Uh, Bullards and Evans today, really the last flurry of uh, comment. Uh, so we'll watch that ahead of the upcoming meeting, 10-year 3-3. We'll be right back. Week today, gainers on the NDX. Check out Regeneron. That's an all-time high this morning uh, on the heels of those uh, good results on their eye drug. Morgan Stanley today upgrade says there could be an additional 20% upside, along with some of the tech earnings we mentioned earlier, Zscaler and DocuSign. We'll be right back. Taken together, the bipartisan infrastructure law, the CHIPS Act, and the Inflation Reduction Act authorize among the most significant investments our country has ever made. I believe firmly they will help us achieve stable, sustainable growth, and they'll move us toward a fairer and more resilient economy. That was the Treasury Secretary highlighting key legislation yesterday, including the CHIPS Act, which the president signed into law exactly a month ago today. Meantime, Intel is about to break ground on a new factory in Ohio. Christina Partsinevelos is there and is joining us ahead of the ceremony. Morning, Christina. Good morning. So this is actually the single biggest private investment in Ohio in history. It's a big deal. You got $20 billion that's going to be invested in two manufacturing hubs right behind me. As you can hear, the marching band is here to celebrate. But Intel's stuck in a bind right now. They have promised to spend billions while also promising to cut back on billions for investors. So let's talk about that funding. $2.1 billion in incentives just here in Ohio. 100% tax abatement on the buildings, and that's not even including the billions, the potential of $6 billion that's coming from the CHIPS Act. So that means the pressure is on for Intel to build quickly. The goal is to get these fabs done by 20, 
20, I should say 2025, but this morning Pat Gelsinger, the CEO, said could be a little bit later, 2026, about three and a half years or so. And this comes at a time when Intel stock is hovering near a 52-week low. It's losing market share to AMD when we talk about data centers. Demand is weakening. So that puts Intel in a position right now where they have to spend billions but also cut back. So I asked Pat Gelsinger that exactly this morning, and he said, although they are cutting net capital by $4 billion, all of the incentives they're getting will help offset that a little. Listen in. That's allowing us to keep our capital just down $1 billion, but bring the net capital down $4 billion. However, then you'd say, well, you're still down a billion. Most of that's related to equipment delays. We can't, you know, where we can't spend the money that fast because the equipment supply chain has been very challenged as well. Challenged, but he promised me they aren't exiting any businesses anytime soon. New product announcements are coming. Back over to you guys. Christina, thank you for that. Christina Parts and Evelo is quite a day for Intel uh, and Ohio. With that, uh, we got some uh, steady action at the open. S&P up about 30 points. Dow's up 127. We're back after a short break. You've been listening to The Opening Bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.